My name is Eric Bartell. I joined the church in June of 2007. I'm excited to be on the team because I think this team is one of the most influential teams that this church has had in the 12 years I've been here. I hear all the complaints. I know why people my age are leaving. I know why the frustrations with dropping off the nursery, the first graders, and then junior high. Like I deal with it every day. I literally see my wife when we leave the car and I see her back at the car later because we're split up. We're moving in all different directions. Truly, if you think about in the next decade, is this the best we can do? I, don't, I haven't talked to one person that thinks that we are where we should be. We can all do better. And I believe that to take our church from here to here and our impact on DFW from here to here is gonna take a level of commitment from here to here. So I'm excited about it. I think it's critical to our church. Um, I think if we do nothing, we're, uh, decay and uh, laziness will set in and we'll go the wrong way. And I truly believe we are in a good spot right now, but the enemy of great is good. I think we can do better. That's why I joined the team. Um, I wanna make this the best church in the Metroplex for all families, not just my family, because we have a unique location in the heart of DFW and we can influence many families for generations to come. And that's where I wanna to go to church, where families want to run to it, not avoid it because they feel like they're lost in the shuffle. So to walk in as one unit, as a family, and get to see all of our friends and the pastors, you know, doing life together, that excites me. And I really do think this is about taking our church from a good church to a great church and possibly the best church in the Metroplex. That's what I want. Is that a big goal? Probably, but I'm not afraid of that. I'd love to be the best church in DFW. I love what Eric said, uh, and we want to be the greatest church we can possibly be for the purpose of reaching people and discipling people for Christ. And I'll just say a couple of three things before we hop into our message. And one is that the renovation of, of our campus is a big part of what that's all about. Last week I shared for the duration of our services uh, an in-depth plan that we have and that we've proposed. You'll find that online if you didn't get to hear it last week. So go to our website at the uh, address uh, pr provided for that and please look and listen and watch the process and watch the uh, proposal. Uh, tonight we have uh, a town hall meeting. We hope that you can come to that at five o'clock in our chapel. We also have the printed guide that's in our guest reception room uh, or guest reception area just outside, uh, guest central I should call it. And uh, so please pick that up. So that's one thing, that this is a big deal. It's not the only thing that we're doing, however, to reach more people for Christ. We really appreciate Todd Parr and uh, his addition to our staff. He and Amber are right down here on this front row. Todd, raise your hand if you would. We, uh, we, we, we're blessed to have this man. Todd led an all-day planning meeting for our staff recently, and we had some great plans laying out for the future, some great blueprint. And uh, so that's another part of all that we believe is very important for us to see the best days ahead. And thirdly, our priority is not right now is prayer. Obviously, we want to pray those three prayers. Lord, is this of you? Number one. Number two, Lord, what's my part? And number three, Lord, bless your people. And so I'm going to encourage you to do that. And please begin today uh, praying every day over the next 21 days. Join me by email tonight for the next 12 hours. 
starting at 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Any one of those hours where your, uh, your name falls into that slot, please email me. Give me a chance to pray for you and whatever needs you have in your life. And uh, join us as much as you can over the next 21 days, all right? And then we'll be together on June 23rd in this service at 11 o'clock to make that important decision. But if you have your Bibles, would you please take them and turn to Matthew chapter 22 today. Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles today, say amen. amen. All right. Matthew chapter 22. Let's stand together. Today's message is called, Where is Your Love? This is the Where is Love series. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be addressing the idea, the understanding of love and what the Bible calls us to and how we are to live towards each other and to those that are in the world uh, on the basis of love. And we begin with Jesus' incredible commandment in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 35, where Pharisees and Sadducees have gathered together against Jesus. And they ask him the question every time a religious authority asks Jesus a question and kind of gives them an opportunity to tee up the ball and really knock it out of the park. And this is what Jesus does every time he's asked a difficult, testing question. And you can see by the nature of the question, this is a difficult one. Verse 35. The Bible says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, the reason this is difficult is because God gave Ten Commandments. There are a variety of other commandments that were embodied in the whole Torah or the law of Moses that the, the Jewish people have been practicing for years and years. And so they wanted to trap him in elevating one over the other. And they could only imagine what he would say, and then they would try to cut him down by which one he didn't elevate. And so Jesus answers this question in a way they did not anticipate. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says something that addresses their strategy. Which one will he elevate? He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. No one will be elevated over the other. This supersedes everything and satisfies everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love is a big deal. Amen. Where's your love? Amen. Father, in Jesus' name today, I would ask you to help us answer this question for ourselves. Where's our love? Where is it in our lives? Where is it given? Where is it received? Where's our love? And Father, speak to us about the priority of this today as Jesus did. Give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about love. We'll be talking about your love today, the basis of love, the importance of love. Next week, we'll talk about romantic love. The week after that, we'll talk about family love. The week after that, we'll talk about church love. And after that, what's it mean to love our neighbors? So love is in the air for the next uh, month. And we're going to have a great time talking about this because love can impact your life more than anything else can. It has impacted your life more than anything else has. Whenever we think of love, we also think of all the expressions of love, all kinds of songs of love, all kinds of movies with romantic themes. Have you lately checked out some of the words and titles of country, western music, present and past when it comes to love. 
I mean, it's hilarious some of the things that they talk about along the lines of love. Poetic writings about love that move our heart, that causes us to, uh, to have a tear or two that shed. Now, I don't really cry, but my eyeballs sweat sometimes when I think about love. All the sayings that I'm not crying, you're crying happen when you watch romantic movies. Of course, my wife and I have a very different perspective on what movies are great. Sometimes she has me watching movies that let me uh, sweat my eyebrows or I drop my eyeballs just a little bit. Uh, They don't blow up so many things as the movies I like. They don't shoot so many people as the movies I like, but there's a lot of love in them. But love moves us. Love moves us to sing in the car when we're all by ourselves a love song that really strikes that mood in our heart or that has affected us in the past in some way. We go back to back to certain expressions of love. Everyone has kind of a certain expression of love that we have for someone that we love a great deal. Love is a big deal. The Bible tells us that love is a priority. It ought to be a big deal. It ought to move our hearts. It ought to change our lives. But love is not found outside the relationship or the context of a relationship. Relationship is the key in which all love is really expressed. A number of years ago, I I was attending graduate school seminary, and the evangelism professor there, a guy named Oscar Thompson, made a statement that he promised we would never forget. And this statement was the most important word in the English language is the word relationship. And I've shared this over the years over and over because I now believe that that's a true statement. When I was younger, I heard that statement and thought, I can think of other words that are more important than the word relationship. But as time went on, I realized that everything good, everything awesome, everything incredible, whether it's worship or the love of God or whether it's the way we love each other, it all is found in that context of a relationship. Love fuels relationship in the right way. Love feeds the relationship. Love informs and guides and directs the relationships we have. And so today when we preach about love, think about it in the context of relationships. And I'm going to give you three truths that are very, very important from this text that we began with a few moments ago that I want you to remember over these next few weeks. Number one, I want you to remember that you were created for love. That's truth number one. You were created for love. So those lawyers came to Jesus and they asked him a question trying to trap him and Jesus answered them in a way they didn't expect with this command to love. And then Jesus said at the end of that command to love, he said, this is the great and foremost commandment. This is the thing that's going to change your life. This is the thing that's going to satisfy you for the first time in your life. This is the greatest and foremost commandment when it comes to relationship, both with God and with others. You were created for love. Did you know that? You weren't created just to exist and certainly weren't created to exist apart from love. You were created for love. And the Bible describes all kinds of love. And I want to go over a few of these words. In the Greek language, we have various words for love where the English language may only have one or two. And in that Greek language, there are four key words for love, three of which are found in the Bible. We're going to cover each of these over the course of these weeks, so let me share with you all these four words. By the way, some of what I read over these next few moments will be uh, written by Ed Cole, and I'm going to give him credit for that because he did a great job of researching these four words. So the first word is the word eros. Eros is a love of passion, an overmastering passion that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. It's a love that is an emotional involvement based on body chemistry, 
The basic idea of this love is often just self-satisfaction. Now, Eros is the one of these four words that you don't find in the New Testament, even though in the Old Testament you see its equivalent used many times. The second Greek word that I'm going to call to your attention is the word storge. Storge is a natural affection or a natural obligation. It's a natural movement of the soul for a husband, a wife, a child, or a dog. The reason I give Ed credit is he didn't include cats in there for some reason. It's a quiet, abiding feeling within a person that rests on something close to them and that he feels good about. Another word is phileo. The word phileo means warm affection among friends. This is the word we use when we describe brotherly love. It speaks of affection or fondness or liking one another. Phileo is a word that responds to kindness. Phileo word responds to appreciation or love. It involves giving as well as receiving, but when it's greatly strained, it can collapse in a crisis. We can cease having brotherly love for someone by its very nature that responds to kindness in turn. The greatest word in the Greek language used by Jesus in this text, though, is the word agape. Agape is not kindled by the merit or worth of its subject, but it originates in its own God-given nature. God is love, and so this love mirrors the love of God. It delights in giving. This love keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive or unkind or unlovable or unworthy. This is the word we use to describe unconditional love, and it desires only the good of the one love. It's a consuming passion for the well-being of others. And when Jesus used this word, he used a word that these who were listening to him, testing him, were blown away by. You mean all of us have to love everyone unconditionally? And that was Jesus' response to the greatest commandment. You and I were created for love, this kind of love that Jesus speaks of, and not only were we created to receive it, but we're also created to give it. And as Jesus defines this love, it's the highest and most important kind of love. He prioritized this. Look at what he says. It's the greatest in size, the greatest in extent and impact. It is foremost as in priority, as in importance. You can't do anything more importantly than something described like this. So I make a real quick conclusion based on what Jesus said there. And this conclusion is the greatest priority in your life is to love God and love others, period. To love God, to love others is to put it simply, but also powerfully. But to love God and love others also includes, don't miss this, being loved. When you were created for love. I want you to go back to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And as we go back to Genesis chapter 1, I want to read a few verses to you. And as I read them, I want you to see how God lovingly, thoughtfully created man and woman from the very beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I'm going to read several verses. But I want you to see if you can spot the acts of love and thought that actually went into our creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So let's take a step back from this text. Recently, we've gone through John chapter 1, where we learned that Jesus, the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are three persons and one God. They are co-equal, co-eternal. They are co 
uh, equivalent. They're powerful. They are three in one, and they relate to each other in perfect harmony and unity. So God the Father relates powerfully with Jesus and perfectly with Jesus. Jesus relates powerfully and perfectly with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit with the Father, and these three walk in total unity. So that is the image in which man was created with the capacity to love, the capacity to interact with God and with each other with perfect harmony and perfect unity. In fact, in the Garden of Eden and at that creation, they were in perfect unison together. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then notice how he distinguishes mankind from all the other animals. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then here it is again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and he blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So they had capacity. They had potential. They had purpose. They had interaction with God. From the very beginning of creation, God was talking to and communicating to Adam and Eve. He was in relationship with them. He had a love connection with them and they with him. And then in verse 30 and 31, it tells them to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky, to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food and it was so. God saw all he had made and behold, it was not good, but very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now think about what God has done here. God in love has created Man and woman with whom he could have fellowship, with whom he could have a love relationship. He provided everything for them before creation and planted them and placed them in the garden so that they would be well cared for. He spoke with them from the beginning. He gave them the capacity to know him and hear him and interact with him. He was loving them from day one and they were uh, able to love him back from day one. All that God created and it says to us, we were created for love. If you do not have a love relationship with God right now, you are missing the purpose of your creation. If we are not interacting with God on the basis of love, this unconditional love, if we're not impacted that by that, if we're not affected by that, we're missing our very purpose. And so every other kind of purpose that comes into our life will be amiss. It will be remiss because we're missing the priority purpose that we have. And that is to know God, to love God, and to understand the love of God in our lives. It's a big deal. Love's a big deal. Jesus said it's the first and the foremost commandment. Did you know that you are loved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved and so God gave. It's a picture of love. Say that line with me. I am loved. Say it again. I am loved. Say it again. I am loved by God. Now turn to somebody next to you and say, You are loved. Don't get the wrong idea. We're talking about Christian love here, okay? <laughs> I am loved by God. You are loved by God. And we have the capacity to love. Think about this with me. The Bible tells us that we're born into a biological family, and we know that for a fact. Everybody has a father and a mother. We're also born into a spiritual family. And in our spiritual new birth, God is our father. 
The Bible says we're adopted by God, we're children of God, we're loved by God, we're given an inheritance by God and a future home by God. It says we're no longer slaves, we're no longer bound by fear, but we are children of God. And once you become a child of God, those around you are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are to love one another in every day of life. You know, the Bible has 58 phrases that are used in the New Testament to describe one another, love one another, greet one another, serve one another, all through the Scripture. And yet, I have to ask the question today, if we are born into love, into a family, if we are born again into a spiritual family, if we are loved by God and have the capacity to love God in return and the capacity to love each other, where's the love? Where is it? Why? If we have this love and this capacity to love, why is there racism? Why is there the demeaning of, of one sex or another? Why is there selfishness? Why is there meanness and unkindness? Why do we have the problems that we have and the difficulties we have if there is love? Why do we not experience that every day? You know, the amazing thing is that we are created for love and God has given us the capacity to love. And he's called every believer to mirror love just as we are loved. One of those great verses of the Bible that I want to read to you is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, uh, and the whole book of 1 John is an amazing book that talks about love. And it talks about really the testing of your testimony, whether you're real or not. Here's what it says about love and, and whether you're a true believer or not. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Wow. If we do not love others, there is something basically wrong with us. Not with God, but with us. And we have the capacity to love each other. We have the capacity to love one another, to love God. And yet, if we are not, something is missing in that element. And we want to look at that. First of all, truth number one, this text tells us you were created for love. Number two, this text tells us you can learn to love. You can learn to love. Notice what it says in the command that Jesus gave, verse 37 and verse 39. He said, you shall love the Lord your God. And then he says again in that second like unto it phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, when you hear the word shall and when you see it's a command, it's important for you to realize a spiritual principle that God never calls us to something that he does not enable us to do. If God calls you to it, he'll get you through it. If God calls you to do something, he gives you all the power and all the capacity to do what it is he calls you to do. And so he has called us to love him with all of our hearts and to love each other as we love ourselves. So what keeps us from learning to love? Let me give you three things that I believe hold us back from learning to love the way God calls us to love. First of all, we are kept from loving as we're called to love when we have not experienced the unconditional love of God. If you've never experienced, if you do not know the unconditional love of God, it will be difficult for you to live it out. When we've never experienced unconditional love, whether it's never experiencing God's unconditional love, which is present and available to us. We may have not accepted it, not received it, but it's always available. 
or where we have not been unconditionally loved by others, then it often leads to a lack of self-esteem. We struggle to accept ourselves. Since the greatest experience of real love comes from knowing God's love, then it's always available if you're open to that. If there's a lack of love in our life or a lack of love in the church or a lack of love in the family or a lack of love in any other area of life, it's not because God's love is inadequate. It's because we have not allowed God's love to impact us. You may be missing the fact that God loves you in a wild way, in a way that defies your imagination, a way that defies your reasoning. Why would God love me with all the bad things I've done? How can God love me with all the mistakes that I make and all the insincerity that I demonstrate day after day? Why does God love me? Because God is love and supersedes all those things in your life to love you unconditionally. And I'm grateful for that. So grateful. So grateful when I'm at my worst, God is at his best in loving me. Aren't you? Isn't it incredible that there is literally nothing you can do to keep God's love from flowing towards you, from overwhelming and embracing you? You must know that that is a sound, doctrinal, biblical truth from God. A few years ago, we were in India. One of the things that we did in India, and this church sponsored this project I'm telling you about, uh, we dug water wells, had water wells dug and we were there for the opening ceremony where this little village that was located on a river for the purpose of getting water from the river was uh, given a well. And so we paid for that to be dug. We, we got there at the time it was to be uh, commissioned, if you will. We cut the ribbon. We pumped the handle for the first time. And for the first time in history, that village had fresh water coming out of the ground from about a thousand feet down, fresh water for the first time. Up to that moment, everybody on that river in that village got their water from the river, which came from upstream where other villages were, and all kinds of disease was born by that water. All kinds of sickness was caused, birth defects, on and on, but the people could find no other water. They knew it was there. They just didn't have access to it. They knew it was beneath the ground. They just couldn't get to it. And we dug a water well, and we pumped out that fresh water. You should have seen these people's reaction. They were overjoyed that for the first time, they could drink that water. They could fill their buckets with that water. They could know that it would not bring sickness. It would not bring uh, ill health to them. That which was always available became literally available to them on that day. Let me just tell you, the same thing is true of the love of God always available to you. And you will always try to satisfy that thirst by some other way if you don't have access to the well of living water that comes from Jesus. That's the way it is. And so when you have this relationship with Jesus Christ and you allow him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you literally have a well of living water that comes out of your innermost being. Literally, Jesus said, you'll never thirst again to the woman at the well. Amen. It's incredibly important that you understand that his love is always, always available to you. And if you have not experienced his unconditional love, you will struggle to love others. A second reason we struggle to love others when we've been betrayed or hurt or wronged by others and we haven't healed. Well, we've tried to love. Well, we've tried to unconditionally accept and love someone else. And they have not responded in kind. Or they have rejected us. Or they have hurt us. Or they have betrayed us. And so as a result, we tend to hold back 
We tend to hide behind our wounds. We do not open up. We don't take a risk anymore because we've already been burned once and we don't want to be burned again. I did an unusual thing this last week. I listened to songs of love that are popular today in our culture. As I listened to these songs, I realized so many of these songs are, are songs sung out of a wounded heart, out of the struggle to be loved, out of the struggle of knowing you're going to be rejected, knowing you're going to be disappointed, but still hoping that love can happen, hoping that love will be real for the first time. And, and I think about all those times when people have been betrayed by love, and, and it's hard to love someone when you have always been betrayed until you receive healing and are able to believe that God loves you and that, that love supersedes anything anybody else can give you. Thirdly, we struggle to love and to learn how to love when we love ourselves and our ways too much to give love. You know, it's possible to love yourself too much. It's possible to be so focused on you and your needs and your desires that you really can't love anyone else because you're overwhelmed by your self-love. While it's healthy to have good self-esteem, self-love left untended is natural, carnal, and fleshly. In fact, that's why the New Testament spends so much time teaching us how to die to ourselves so that we can love others unconditionally and do the best for them, even though it may not seem to be the best for us. Stephen Kendrick, who wrote The Love Dare, a book about marriage and commitment in marriage of love, said almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It's a trait we hate in other people but justify in ourselves. Let me tell you that you can learn to love because God said you could learn to love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, there's a verse that Paul writes to a group of people that have only been followers of Christ for about three weeks. But in that three weeks, they have shown extraordinary following of the Lord. They have taken the word, they've received by faith all that Jesus has to give them, and they're loving each other in incredible ways. And Paul writes to them about how to love one another. And he says this in verse 9 of chapter 4. You need to mark this verse. It's a great verse, awesome verse. It comes back to me all the time. And here's what it says. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul said, I'm not going to write you a book about this. I'm just going to include this line in this letter. You don't have to go to school to learn this. You don't have to be mentored to do this. What you have to do is realize that God has demonstrated to you what unconditional love is. You've been taught by God to love one another the way he loves you. And if you'll sit down and think about it, how God has loved us unconditionally, gave his life, for our salvation, sacrificed his own plans, his own life for us. You, you are taught by God to love that way. When I was growing up, when I was uh, in college, I struggled a lot with self-esteem. I, I had issues in just my self-identity. And basically, I think a lot of that stemmed from the fact that I had a hearing loss. And so as I lost my hearing as a young boy, uh, I grew up as the only kid in my class he wore hearing aids. And back in the day, those hearing aids were very large and bulky and uh, awkward, and they were always giving feedback, and, and kids would make fun of that. And so I just really did not have a good time growing up. And as a result of that, I just uh, tried to overcompensate. I uh, tried to be normal and outdo other people 
gradually through athletics, as I grew bigger and taller and so forth, I said, I'm going to make my mark in athletics. I'm going to be as good as anybody else because I can beat them on the basketball court or on the football field or around the track. I'm going to, I'm going to be accepted that way. So I struggled because I wasn't feeling accepted and I overcompensated. I even did that with God. God, for some reason, you've let me have this deficiency of hearing. For some reason, I'm in this position in my life, and and it's not a good thing. What have I done to you? What do I have to do to make it up to you? And I was struggling with my self-identity. I didn't understand that God loved me and and that the hearing loss had nothing to do with that. By the way, when I was a young boy, I didn't want to wear my hearing aids because they were so awkward, and and, uh, it was just too much trouble for me. And, And the doctor sat me down one day and said, you have to wear your hearing aids. He said, let me make you a promise. If you'll wear your hearing aids every day, you'll be able to hear, you'll be able to go to school. But don't worry, one day all your friends will have hearing aids. (laughs) I didn't realize he meant 50 years later, but he's right. Who do people call when they want advice? It's me, it's me. I've had him for 60 years or so. There was a point in in my life where I'd achieved some athletic success and I was still miserable because it wasn't settled inside of me. I remember being in the parking lot on the campus of our university and I remember struggling with this issue and and I was actually praying. And God spoke to me in a powerful way. Basically, I was complaining because I wasn't loved by others, wasn't accepted by others and God spoke to me in an indelible way, left an impression on my heart and his question to me was, is my love and acceptance not enough? And when I realized what he was asking of me, I realized he was saying, don't you know that I love you unconditionally? Don't you know that I've accepted you for just who you are? Don't you know I can take everything that you have or deal with or struggle with and turn it into good? Don't you understand you'll never be left alone? You'll never be rejected? You'll never be not accepted by me? Don't you understand that? And if you understand that, is that not enough? At that moment, in that car, in that parking lot, I said, it's enough. And it's changed my life. It's changed my life in that I learned that God loved me and I could learn to love others. And I could learn to not worry about what they thought about me. I didn't have to respond in kind. If they disrespected me, I didn't have to do it back. If they didn't like me, it's fine. I could live because I was loved by God. That was never at risk. It was never going to be cut off because God loved me with an unconditional love. He accepted me completely. That's who I am. I'm accepted by God. And that's not parabiblical truth. That's in the heart of Scripture. It's just truth. Learning to love the way God loves us will change your life. It'll change your life. We can learn to love. We're created for love. We can learn to love. And when Jesus is talking about that we shall love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, he plans to make that available to us. Truth number three, finally. You're called to live love out. You're called to live love out. Look at the last line there that Jesus described in the last part of this text that we've looked at. He said, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. If you want to live your faith out, love someone in a compassionate, unconditional way. Guess what? You've just loved them the way Jesus loves you. You've just lived faith out. Bob Goff is an author and a speaker. He writes about this subject a lot. 
and he made this statement in his book called Love Does. He said, that's because love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning on it. Simply put, love does. That's why, that's why we want others to know God. That's why we want others to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we want the best for those around us, whether they be neighbors or brothers and sisters in Christ or family members. It's why we're against racism. It's why we're for people that are left out and lonely and hurting. That's why we have compassion, not because they can bring anything in return, but because love does these things, because love lives this out loudly in a day-by-day basis. Why? Because we've been loved by God, taught by God. We can live it out the way God calls us to. That's why the church is different, and it's why we must be different. We can have all of our theology in line, but if the love's not there, people say, so where's the love? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a great passage of Scripture that years and years ago I thought, well, this is basically a wedding passage. It's a passage you read when you have a wedding ceremony. But if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize it's a command of the church of Jesus Christ to love one another this way. I want to read it to you to conclude my message. Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. What, what would the world look like? What would the church look like? What would your life look like if you were living love out loudly like this? That's what Christ has called us to. And no, you can't do it on your own. You have to do it built on the foundation of his love for you through Jesus. Do you have it? Have you experienced it? Have you been taught by God about how valuable you are, how priceless he considers you to be. Because if that's never happened, it needs to happen now. And you need to receive it and accept it and experience it and be changed by it. I promise you, when you're loved by God and you're aware of it, it changes the way you do everything else, the way you treat everybody else and the potential that you see all around you. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Close your eyes. We ask our counselors to come in these next few moments. It's an opportunity for you to come and receive this love of God, which comes through putting your trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. As these counselors stand at the front over these next few moments, I encourage you to walk forward and talk to them about your desire to understand and experience this unconditional love of God through Jesus. 
And maybe you've experienced this in the past, but you struggle. Maybe one of those roadblocks to your love is happening and you want someone to pray with you through those roadblocks so that you can get over those and love others the way he loves you today. We want to pray with you about that. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us. Father, I pray that you will help each person in this room experience your incredible, unconditional love. And Father, I pray that we'll let it come through us as well as it has to us. That we can express this to people around us, that we can be different from the world, so that we can love in such a way where it'll demonstrate to the world that you have come for us and you have demonstrated to us. Lord, today just move in the hearts of people in this room. And I want to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?